And I just broke down sobbing in my car. Like I cannot live like this anymore. My options were get help and attack it. Like I did my playing career. Like this is what's going to be our competitive focus is getting mentally healthy or end your life. Like that's as brutally honest as I can be. That's where I was. And so I thank God chose the therapy option got therapy. And the first therapy session I went to, I walked out like, I don't remember what I really talked about that day. I just remember, like, I felt like my lung capacity doubled. It was like, I can breathe. I just shared. She let me know that this is not that uncommon. Like, I'm not alone. Hey, I'm Ashley Agle. Some of you might know me as Ashley Burkhart, and I'm a former D1 and professional softball player who spent a few years coaching in the college game before deciding to put all of my focus into youth softball players and helping them make their dreams and their goals happen for them. It's our job to help them unleash their potential and become the athletes they've always dreamt of. I come from a small city in the Midwest and didn't let that stop me from making my goal of playing D1 softball a reality. No matter where you live, you have the tools to help you thrive, and I am hoping through this podcast to help you get there. On this podcast, you'll learn from Olympians, Hall of Fame coaches, and elite players what their journeys have been like, and you'll also learn from me and my family a bit of our journey through the game. I'm so excited to have you here, so whip out your notebook and let's learn how we can grow in this game together. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I hope you're enjoying this fall season where it's starting to get a little chillier in the mornings, but it's one of my favorite seasons. And if you're a pumpkin spice latte person and you're drinking one now, you are in the perfect place to listen to this episode. I'm excited for you guys to meet a good friend of mine, China McCarney. China McCartney is the vice president and CFO of Jager Bands. So you know those bands that most of us have heard of? Some people call them J-Bands. I use them in college. I use them in pro. And they were super beneficial for my arm care and my arm health. Well, he works for them. He also played collegiate baseball at Cal State Northridge, played a bit in the professional game, just like me. And he is the author of Off the Field, Carving Your Own Path to Find Your Best Self. And most importantly, he's the founder of Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression Foundation. So the crazy thing about this conversation is we dive into two completely different places. We dive a lot into J-bands and arm care and how to make sure that we're avoiding injury as much as possible. So we talk about bands and there's so many different varieties of bands. And I know we specifically talk about J bands and as a partner of theirs, I'm a huge fan of them, but just realize that any sort of resistance band can be used in some of the ways that we talk about. Their main mission is to help athletes maintain a healthy arm and reduce injury. And like I said, I use them and knock on wood, never had an arm injury. So totally am on board with J-Bands and what they do. And some of you have them and totally agree. So learning how to use them better is our mission in this conversation. So they also, and you might not know this about J-Bands, but they're more than just bands. They have a mental warrior program where they help athletes clear their mind, be more relaxed and more focused in their game. And don't we all need a little bit more of this? So they have that program and China and I, we talk a little bit about that as well. So China also dives into his mental health journey 
And he was just like me and strived for perfection in almost everything that he did. He underwent anxiety just like I think every player goes through some sort of anxiety throughout their career. But today we talk about how he's been able to now teach people how to manage that with also having to do with the Mental Warrior Warrior Program. It all kind of leaks together, which is crazy and awesome. So I'm so excited for you guys to learn a little bit from China. And when I say a little bit, it's going to be a lot. You're probably going to need a journal, but he's a great friend of mine and we've (laughs) underwent a lot of the same things. And I'm just so excited for you guys to have more resources on better arm care and how to take care of your mental game as well. So here he is, China McCartney. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I'm so, so, so excited to have a good friend of mine. China McCartney is here in the house. How are you? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing well. <laughs> I'm doing well. I love the fall. One of my favorite times of the year, and we're almost there. So yeah. exciting times. Yeah. Um, can we just shout you out real quick? You've been all over socials lately. For those who don't know, China is posting a lot of J-bands, Jager bands, exercises, how to do them right, how to do them wrong. Also, you have your own TikTok where you're showing your face, talking mental health stuff. You're just killing the social game. Is, is there a rhyme or reason to this or are you just putting stuff out? No, there is a rhyme or reason. And it comes, it's inspiration where I think we get most of our inspiration in business, which is a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. Um, <laughs> yeah. The CEO of Jager Sports is Jim Batcher. He is not 13 or 15. He's 57. But he's got two young boys, Graham and Jack, that are 13 and 15. And they were in the office during the summer, you know, and we were hanging out. And they're like, why don't you guys have a TikTok? And Mm. I was like, I don't, guys, I don't know anything. I don't know the first thing about TikTok. And so they gave me a little crash course one day and showed me all the little things. And they've been helping inspire some of the video ideas. And it's been awesome. It's been fun for me to kind of try to come up with creative ways to share um, the program that I love with Jager Sports in 30 seconds or less and uh, in a fun way. So that's that's the rhyme or reason is a business meeting with two kids that have way more <laughs> hair than I do and are way younger than I am. <laughs> I love it. Do they approve of everything you've been putting out? Absolutely not. No, they let me know um, <laughs> when they don't like something. They approved most of it and they had a lot of, but they just went back to school. So now it's like I lost my my guys mm. and uh, I always send them the TikToks. Like I'll send it in a text and just be like, check this out. Just thinking they're going to give me that affirmation, you know, like, oh, great job. And no, Graham, especially the youngest is like, I don't like the volume of the music. It overdrowned your voice or um, I'm sorry, I couldn't follow that. It was too long or different things. So he's a tough critic, but I think that's why the content's hopefully getting better. <laughs> that's yeah. so great. Yeah. I, I need I need somebody young in my corner. I mean, I have my own athletes that I work with. Maybe I should ask them more like, hey, do, I think the TikTok was great. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. They're, <laughs> they're, then, ex- they're experts and they're not shy about their opinion. At least he's not. They're so <laughs> honest. Yeah. That is Amazing. Okay. I love getting to know that. So in order for the audience to get to know you, do you mind sharing a bit of your playing journey, your coaching journey, your journey with Jager Sports and especially that mental health journey? We're going to dive into that in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I was raised in a tiny little town called Agua Dulce, California. Most people think of California as the beach and, you know, 
all kinds of different visions, but I grew up, I had two horses, you know, acres. I graduated with 62 other kids in my tiny little high school, but my life was sports. My dad was all sports and we had some rough stuff going on family wise um, where my mom wasn't around. And so that's the way my dad and I bonded. And um, he was always looking for opportunities to get me out of that small town um, and bigger training things. And <laughs> we laughed to this day. He saw an ad at a car wash for a Jager sports camp, a summer camp in our, I mean, in our hometown, it was about 35 minutes from our hometown, which felt like in our hometown, because that's how rural it was. And I mm -hmm. went and I went. And on the fourth day of that camp, Alan Jager came out. I was 12 years old. It's 1999. Uh, don't do the math. Uh, that's why I'm wearing a hat and have no hair under here. But um, <laughs> uh, Alan Jager came out the last day and watch me throw and I was throwing with a high school junior I was kind of scared of catching him but that was the distance that I could kind of kind of mimic and Alan was like where's his dad and he found my dad and just said I want to stay in touch he's got a live arm and I want to help mentor and we've been you know friends he was a mentor now we're colleagues business partners and it's been 23 year journey but Played in high school, played in Division One college, Cal State Northridge, played professionally until I was 25 and uh, kind of worked for Jager Sports in the off seasons, traveling around, doing the long toss demos, and then came on full time on the business side about 13 years ago. And so all told, it's weird because I'm 35 years old, but I've been with Jager Sports for 23 years in some capacity. And mm -hmm. uh, back when we only had black J-bands and a three-piece connector clip that was just atrocious and uh now we've got i think 34 variations of colors sizes and you see j bands kind of all over the place so it's kind of a cool cool journey and uh yeah the last part of it was that first camp 45 minutes of our four-hour camp days back then were baseball everything else was stretching mental training meditation which in 1999 that word was not what yeah. it is today it was a little more judged but it kind of planted a seed in my brain that when I started going through some tough stuff as a teenager, I hadn't dealt with, my mom was in jail twice before I was 12 years old. It was cool to have a foundation of mental training, especially in a time when it wasn't popular. And it's kind of been a very huge passion of mine, mental health, mental training and athletics on and off the field ever since. So I tried to keep that under two minutes and it was probably four. So I apologize for the long answer on the journey. <laughs> it was perfect. What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. A couple things that I do want to unpack there though. It's like, I love how, you know, someone as big as Alan Jager is just like, this kid's going to be a superstar. I want to make sure he gets to where he wants to go. Like, what was the communication like, you know, the first couple years, you know, after that, was it just an occasional text? Was it a call? Like, what was that like? Yeah, it was calls. Let's see. Did I have a, I don't know if I had a cell phone to text back in 99. I might have had a beeper. He might have beat me, but it was calls. And I would, so I would go to, they had a four day summer camp and a four day winter camp between Christmas and New Year's. And so I would always go. And probably at 15 years old, I started being the demonstration on the first day. They do a long toss demonstration to show kind of what it's supposed to look like. And yeah, it would just be, we'd meet for a meal and it was just mentor, mentee. And we'd talk about more mental training because I think he knew I was kind of fascinated by it. He knew a little bit about my family situation. And he, to this day, like when I talk to people about him, I don't 
understand how you can have the energy to invest 100% of yourself into every single human being that you talk to. That's his gift. Like he is incredible at that. And so, yeah, it was. And then he'd come out to watch my games when he could like once in a while, which it was like, Oh my gosh, Alan Jager's here. Like this is incredible. And so, yeah, it's cool to look back, but it was probably sporadic. Maybe let's say once every other month, a call and then he'd come out to a game or two and, you know, we talk about the ment- mental side of a changeup, one talk, and then, you know, box breathing, another talk, four, 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 and all this stuff. And yeah. And then I think as I got older and he saw, like, I've always had an incredible passion for business, the finances behind business and everything. And I think he saw an opportunity. And here we are, two and a half decades later. I want a documentary on Jager Sports so bad because there's, there's fun stories behind the scenes, too. <laughs> Well, you can produce it. Yeah. We'll all watch it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love it. So for those who don't know what Jager bands are, can you just give like a rough um, demo of what, I mean, not obviously a visual demo, but <laughs> yeah. let us yeah. know kind of what it is, how it works, things like that. Yeah. So there's three back there. So it's, it's the resistance bands you see. It's got a carabiner clip. You clip it. Most common anchor point is a chain link fence. It splits into two bands with Velcro wrist cuffs that you put around your wrist and you do an exercise and resistance bands came around, I think in the eighties um, as a rehab kind of device mm-hmm. where you could target the smaller muscles, the rotator cuff muscles, the throwing specific muscle groups that we, we like to say, and Alan kind of looked at that philosophy and said, what if we do that with a healthy arm instead of an arm that's gone through an injury and having to rehab with resistance bands. What if we took a healthy arm and did resistance bands training and the results were just, we're not science guys. We don't do, you know, clip people to sensors and all that stuff and analytics and everything. It was just his on the field experience as he was coaching. And so it's a way, the best analogy I give to people that most people can relate is you would never sprint without first preparing your legs for the act of sprinting, right? Or else your Mm -hmm. hamstrings would be behind your ears. Like mine would be right. And so J-Bands is the exact same philosophy for the arm, for the act of throwing. You're stretching, getting blood flow, heat, range of motion to the throwing specific muscle groups to then go perform the act of throwing. That's the next elevator pitch of uh, the J-Bands. I love it. Um, And we've had Monica Abbott on the podcast, and she, I know, is in love with your product. So from, from what she has communicated, how does she use it in her game? So similarly, um, what was awesome about her coming on board, we did a shoot with her probably eight years ago or so, where she came out and did a long toss demonstration underhand. It's on YouTube for free for anybody out there. But what was super cool for is she just enlightened us on the underhand throwing movement because for position players in softball, what we do for our athletes, our pitchers and everything in baseball, it's the exact same, right? It's overhand throwing. You prep the arm. It's the same philosophy, same benefits, but the underhand throwing, it's more natural. But Monica let us know that she had actually been doing long toss before she knew of us underhanded. And she came out and did her demo. And at the end of her demo, she was doing pull downs. So you stretch out to your distance and then you bring that distance into your position specific distance. Well, the CEO, Jim Batcher, was a major league outfielder. He played professionally for 15 years. So coordination would be an understatement. She abused him. It was hilarious because (laughs) he had never seen 
a ball do this, right? Because baseball, even ba- baseballs that have life and they kind of look like they're rising, it's really not rising. But when you do the underhand movement, and so she threw one basically as hard as she could. She threw a rise ball. It started his chest and it went over the fence behind him because he didn't, he couldn't like adjust to it. But yeah, it's the same philosophy for any position, pitchers or position players in softball, where it's it's just same thing, prepping the arm for the act of throwing, putting yourself in a healthier position to then go start your day of training, start your day of throwing. And she helped us with the the J-band exercise routine for overhand throwers is 11 exercises. There's five with both arms and then six with throwing arms specific. But then on the softball, now there's 12 because there's an underhand throwing motion. And in one of the videos that we did a few years ago, Jim had to get to his son's birthday trip with his wife and one of the last things for the video was I was going to, because it was just us guys out there. So they wanted me to demo the softball movement with the J-bands. And I could not stop laughing because I looked ridiculous. And I kept <laughs> messing up the take and it kept going longer and longer. And Jim kept getting more mad. He's like, my wife is going to kill me if I don't get to Legoland with our son. Um, <laughs> like, you've got to stop laughing. But um, we got it done. And we laugh to this day when we watch me just doing this little underhanded uh, movement. <laughs> yeah. So we can find that video somewhere? Um, maybe. If you YouTube, uh, <laughs> I think it's on the uh, J-Band safety video. It's on our site and on YouTube for free. And uh, yeah, don't post it on TikTok. I won't post it on TikTok, but I might add it to the show notes just for yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all the links, all the things that we're talking about, they're going to be able to be found in the show notes. So it sounds like J-Bands are meant for injury prevention as much as just preparing you for your training. Yeah. Yeah. The way I like to look at it, because that people will ask, like, will J-bands help me add velocity? Will J-bands help me add arm strength? If it's a yes or no answer, yes. But the explanation behind that is if you're healthier, you can train more, right? Yeah. So first and foremost, the number one goal of the J-bands and really our entire throwing program, arm care. Like our tagline is arm care, arm conditioning, and mental training. If you care for your arm and you're intentional about building a foundation of arm health, then you can condition. You can arm condition, you can train, you can do long toss the way you're supposed to. You can test the limits of your max distance in long toss, bringing that distance and playing that with that mentality of bringing that distance into your pull down and your position specific distance. And you can strength train because you're healthy. Because if you're not healthy, we all know that feeling of your arms dragging and you just try to get through the day as opposed to like attacking the day training wise. And so first and foremost, absolutely, it's about health, flexibility, blood flow, range of motion and heat. But the more healthy you are, the better that you feel, the more you're going to be able to train and gain that strength, which will lead to velocity, lead to stamina, all that good stuff. So healthy first, training second and uh, Legoland third. I love that. In college, I guess, to be honest, when we used bands, we had we had your bands. We also had another band that I can't think of. But it's funny because we would just do it because we were told to do it. And like sometimes we would we would do it lazy, you yeah. know, like because we weren't taught how to do it the proper way. Um which I know probably triggers you a little bit like, hello, like if you're using the band, you're not utilizing it to its potential. 
And I know a lot of people have these bands, and if they don't, they should definitely get some. But if you don't have, or if you do have these bands, but you don't know how to use it, where can people go to like learn and see the movement to learn how to use them properly? That's a great question. And it's one we actually got on TikTok. And I try to pay attention to every question on TikTok because like your consumer's telling you directly what information they want, or if your information's not as. So if you buy a J-Band, it comes with a brochure and it has the 11 exercises in the brochure. Um, If you already have a band, it doesn't matter if it's a J-Band or not. Hopefully it is. But if you have a band and you want a routine, on jagersports.com, there's a J-Bands tab. And underneath that tab, tab, there's the J-Band exercises. And there's both the baseball sheet and the softball sheet, completely free. Um, On YouTube, our safety video, which is all about not aligning it with the head, neck, or face, but it's kind of a nice workaround way to get to our entire routine for free. It's about 11 minutes and we do every exercise and how to do it safely. But you can look mm-hmm. if you want a visual representation of the bands. YouTube's a great place. And so, yeah, so YouTube, jagersports.com, you can see the exercises, what routine you're supposed to be doing. And like when athletes, I don't necessarily get frustrated if an athlete's maybe not doing them the way they should be doing them or if they're just doing it lazy because if I know that feeling as an athlete, if it's not something I'm be- I believe in or something I discovered myself and my coach is like, you have to do this. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, I'm gonna do it. And then I'm going to do what I want to do. Like I can still kind of remember the first time what it felt like when my arm was fully pre- prepared and heated up before I threw like arm circles, J bands. And then I picked up the ball and it's like, this feels lighter. Like this feels like what it feels like when I'm halfway through throwing to warm up. Like I'm already Mm -hmm. warm and this is throw one. And then as I just kept doing it and building like what I call the relationship with my arm and body, it was like every day I came to the park, as soon as I started doing arm circles or J bands, because of the experience I had with those feelings, it's like, Ooh, I might need more today. I'm feeling a little more stiff or Ooh, today's going to be a special day. Like Jim and I talk about all the time where we used to travel around the country doing clinics and we'd do our run. We'd like to get a little sweat going, arm circles, J-bands. And when we threw that first ball from 40 feet, like an egg you're not trying to break, just nice and easy, it would be like, oh boy, there's lightning in our fingertips say like, this is going to be a show. And then there was other days where you're like, oh boy, I'm feeling my age today. Like I'm going to have to go slower. But the more intentional you are, the more awareness you'll have And if you really put the time in to all your training, not just throwing, but you get this relationship with yourself where you can kind of dictate how your training goes that day, how your performance goes that day based on, I feel good, so I'm going to keep this going, or I feel a little more tight than normal. I need more. I need more preparation. I need to jog a little more. I need to stretch a little more. And so I would just say to experiment with being intentional for the athletes out there that maybe just go through it because they've been told to do bands, do mm-hmm. it correctly and really take inventory mentally on your arm after you do it the right way, as opposed to if you just go to the beach and start throwing a football um, without warming up, you know how that feels. It's like, oof, mm-hmm. like you got to get this going. Yeah. What's your dream scenario for a coach of, let's just say a youth softball or baseball team to, to just start implementing these into practice? What's your best scenario? 12 minutes of your preparation time, right? Because we all have limited practice time and we're not naive, you know, we're not. Because the way, if we did it ourselves, like if Jim and I go to the park today, 
it might be 50 minutes before we throw a ball, right? Because we're going to run. We're going to do arm circles slow. We're going to do J bands. We're not just going to do the exercises. We're going to do all these stretches that we've made up with the bands. But for a youth coach or a coach trying to implement this in practice, if you give us 12 minutes, so you do your normal stretching like you do, then get your athletes to do arm circles, palms down going forward, palms up going backwards, and then do the J band exercises as a group. Just do all 11 exercises with intention and then go do your normal throwing like you do. It's just going to change. It's going to change the culture around your preparation because it's a team thing and you're telling your athletes that this is a priority and you're not judged for it because we've had other, like we've had athletes come to the camp and then they go back to their team and they're trying to do this and their coach is like, hurry up and get to throwing. And they're like mad at them or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it shuts down that whole momentum. And so if you just, I think 12 minutes is reasonable to do arm circles, the J bands and get to throwing. I feel like 12 minutes, it feels like a long time to do it. Probably a coach that's like, I have to put together an hour and a half or a two hour practice plan. Yeah. And I have to add 12 minutes, <laughs> but like from everything that you're saying, it's only going to enhance what comes next. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's an absolute no brainer that, you know, either have your kids get there early <laughs> And do their bands or spend that 12 minutes of just time on themselves, they can start owning this. They can start owning their throws more. I think this is, it's not, it's not even just teaching like how to throw better. It's like accountability and discipline. And I'm sure you see like over time, athletes are ultimately performing better the longer they use this and they use it consistently. Right. Right. And it's all about like your priority. Like if a coach, obviously a coach wants to win, coach wants to maximize their practice plan. Well, if you have four athletes that can't throw that day because their arm hurts, right? Well, how's that impacting those drills that you're wanting to rush to and not give arm care and conditioning 12 minutes? Whereas if you give a little more attention or like you said, which is a great idea is set the foundation for a couple weeks, helping them learn the J band routine. And then be like, if you can get to practice 10 minutes early and get your bands done, you know, then you can kind of maximize the practice plan a little more. But if you want to win and you want, you know, we all want better results and we want to optimize the time that we have. Well, having nine weapons on defense because of their arm is going to help your team. And Mm -hmm. having practices where everyone's healthy and everyone can practice together, no one's sitting out because their shoulder's sore or we rushed them to throw quicker or whatnot. I just think that I totally understand that thought process and we deal with it all the time in conversations. I just, once you change the mindset, it's like, oh yeah, like this is helping maximize way more, which is a little bit of investment up front time-wise. It maximizes everything else that follows, including performance, winning, keeping your job, and having fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, when I think about it, I was actually given a J-band when I went to go play pro. Again, wasn't taught how to use it correctly, but you see them in the pro game everywhere. Like, you see college programs with them. They're they're doing these before they train. And this is oftentimes where the, the audience or the fans, they don't see that part because they're doing this two hours before they start preparing for the game. But I mean, I just see Monica. I think of Monica. I played against Monica and every single time we played them, she was doing her J bands. Like it was just what she did. And if she is the greatest pitcher in the world, it's not even arguably, she is the greatest pitcher in the world. And she is utilizing this band 
and she knows how much it's going to help her. Like it's part of her, her routine. And I think if it's not adopted, um, early on, I mean, that's the thing. She may not have had these early on in her career, but she probably wishes she did. Mm-hmm. So for those who are just contemplating this, just, I mean, I'm going to put all the links in the bio if you guys just want to go check it out, but I'm trying to utilize, trying to figure out a routine for my hitters now. Cause I think I just work with hitters. I don't do much defense anymore, but I think like every hitter should be doing this before we hit for the same reason, like pump up, like just produce blood flow in the places that we need it. Like I will never have an athlete just hit as soon as they walk into a lesson. Like yeah. they need to warm up their body before they put it under a lot of stress. So you and I are probably gonna have to work on a program for my hitters um, yeah. <laughs> with the J bands, but anything else that we're missing that you're just like, we need, we need people to know more about this, the J bands themselves No, other than I, the mental training, which we'll get to. Yeah, no, I think the, um, the good news, like for hitters, the first five exercises are dual arm. And so they're more bigger muscles, right? So like we do flies, which is all pecs and everything. And then two and three are stretches. So we do like the, the moon over like here, which for a hitter, if you injure anything here, you're in a bad place for a while. Oblique strains, yeah. all that stuff. That's a very hard injury to heal. And so if you get in the habit of every day doing diagonal stretches and just loosening that part up before you swing, before you torque, before you do any rotation, you're not going to avoid every injury, but it's going to help you avoid the avoidable ones, right? Where mm-hmm. if you start swinging cold, you have a way better chance of injuring an oblique or a low back muscle or something like that, as opposed to if you just do something, a little jog, little band routine, little stretch. So I think like I would urge everybody to try it. And like I said, like we're not ever like you know, Mr. Salesy here. That's not our style. That's not what we do. If you have any bands or somebody on your team has a band, just try it. Try it for a week. Try it for two weeks. Feel what it feels like. The cost is 35 bucks. I mean, some batting gloves are more expensive. And <laughs> that's true. You know, that's <laughs> true. Like arm care, arm health. Yeah. Is it's gonna, and they last, if they're taken care of, they last forever. Um, the only time I get new ones is when I want a pretty color or something. And I'm, I'm mm-hmm. just like, ooh, we got a new one. We got white and blue or white and green. But yeah, I would just urge anybody to try it, to prepare for throwing, just to feel it. And if you don't like it after two weeks, you're good. Like, that's what we say with all of our training. If you try it and it's not for you, we're not going to be like, this is the only way to do it right. <laughs> like, you're allowed to be an individual and everybody's got their own routine for sure. Yeah. And what I do like about yours is I didn't know this until I ordered a bunch from you, but you have like the normal size, like just the regular size you've always had. And then you also have like mini ones, like for the little kiddos, which I love who need a little less resistance to, to get what they need out of it. But yeah, I'm a huge fan, obviously. And you're here. And so this is the part that I get excited about is the mental training. Um, and you and I had a phone call about this, but I'd love for you to share like why mental training, how, how does mental training mix with J bands? Like how, how did this come to be? Yeah. So Alan basically started Jager sports as a mental training company first, like before J bands, before anything, he went through something in college that led him on a path to studying Eastern philosophy, meditation, all that stuff. And he was like, Oh my goodness. Cause this is early 90s. So the only people that got mental training or therapy in the early 90s were people that had something wrong with them, which is air quotes around that, right? Which we know that's not the case, but that's the way it was viewed 30 years ago. And so it was very hard for Alan to get a foothold as a businessman 
trying to sell meditation to athletes during the steroid era where it's like, no, we're big, macho, whatever. And Mm. so he was always big in the long toss. He was when he played and he got introduced to band work. And so he kind of molded the whole company around physical training. And then that's my kind of conduit into now I can kind of teach my mental training. And um, that first camp that I went to at 12 years old was the first introduction I had to meditation at the very end of the clinic or at very end of the camp days, we'd lay down on the grass and they would take you through a guided meditation. And it was not short, like it was 20, 30, 40 minutes sometimes. And they would walk around depending on the instructor. And the last day Alan was there, like I said, and he took us through just a big boy meditation, like big league. It was crazy. And there were ants crawling all over me. (laughs) I did not move the whole time. I was 12 years old and I got into a great place and I won his book because I didn't move. He was walking around and he's like trying to blah, 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 blah. So it kind of started me on this path of it. Like I said, it planted the seed. And then when I started getting into high school, I started dealing with anxiety, worrying, depression. And then my junior year of college, kind of that, like the culmination of your entire career you know, your junior year of college is typically when you get drafted the highest. And I just had some stuff during that season go wrong and a coach and a blah, 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 blah. And I had my first full blown panic attack where I thought I was having a heart attack, thought I was dying and had to have my dad come get me. He had to drive like two hours. And, uh, I went to the doctor and I was like, yeah, I think I had a heart attack. Like, can you check me out and uh, see what happened? And they're like, it was a panic attack. And I wanted to punch them in the face because I was like, first of all, those physical symptoms I just felt, there's no chance that that was just mental. Like, there's no way. I could not wrap my brain around that at the time. And then, yeah, it just started me on this journey of studying it more, being more passionate about it. And it's it's been cool that that's kind of coincided. The mental training of athletics has kind of coincided with this mental health development and my own journey and panic attacks off the field and away from the game where I think there's just so much synergy between mental health, mental training for athletics on and off the field. And, you know, if you just look at the news the last year, year and a half, there's just too many tragedies and sad stories about people taking their own lives and different things. And so I think it's a important topic, important topic to just be vulnerable about, just make it normal, just talk about it. Um, and realize that a good mental training and mental health approach can change our lives, can help us be better athletes, but can keep some of us alive if we're just willing to to talk about it and create a web and a community of just no judgment. We're all human. Like we're all going to go through something at some point. Yeah, I'm glad you're into normalizing it because obviously I am as well. You're not the first one to talk about mental health in this podcast for a reason. I do think there still are a lot of people out there that shame people that have mental health issues. And maybe they don't know it's mental health issues. Maybe they just think they're lazy. But what do you think, like, and maybe maybe you have to think back to, like, you and your playing days or just now. Because um, we all deal with anxiety sometimes. We all, de- we all deal with a lot of stressors. But what does it look like? And how can maybe a coach or a parent kind of see it before the panic attack happens, if that makes sense at all? Yeah. And that's, that's the, I think, the hardest question because it is invisible. Physical injuries, somebody sprains their ankle, you can see them limping, right? Yeah. With mental health, the biggest 
indicator from what I've seen and what I've studied is a like drastic change in someone's personality and it can go either way. Like it's way easier to notice if you have somebody that's charismatic and usually happy and all of a sudden they're reclusing themselves from the team or they're down or they're not talking and they're just kind of shutting down. That's an indication maybe that something's going wrong. But what a lot of people don't realize is it can go the other way where, because if you're compensating to try to mask something, if you're usually quiet and you don't speak a lot and all of a sudden they're talking a lot and they're, changing their whole routine it could just be a personality change or whatnot but that can also be an indicator that they're dealing with something they're trying to mask it and that's why they're acting a different way but when i give like i've during covid because of everything that happened and zoom became so popular i gave a lot of speeches to coaches and you know conventions and different things and my thing is it's going to be a lot easier to notice it or have the athlete bring it up if you establish a culture of acceptance from day one, right? Mm. Like if we just create a culture of like, we talk about everything. We talk about physical health, we talk about training, nutrition, mental health, and it's just kind of normalized. Well, your athlete's not gonna be afraid to bring it up to the coach if the coach and the culture is, we talk about it, we're family here. Like I've had anxiety as a coach, I've had depression here. And you don't, if you don't want to share details, you don't have to. But if you at least create a feeling of no judgment for the player, they're going to be a lot more likely to talk. And like you brought up my own situation, 2009, my coach was the worst human being on the planet to this day, the worst person I've ever been around. I've said it on many, you know, podcasts. I've said it to him, assistant coaches. It's not news, but it was a culture of fear and like, anger and screaming and judgment and not accept like the thought of going into that office and being like coach um i'm having panic attacks like i would have gotten a shoe in my throat or up my rear end and uh so i had nowhere to turn and that's basically what started me on this journey once i started to get better was oh my goodness there's probably thousands of people feeling like I felt like they have nowhere to turn. And I turn, you know, I just went partying and baseball is already crazy, but it's a great way to mask. Everything is just alcohol. Everything's fine. I'm good. I have no one to talk to. And so, yeah, there was nowhere to turn and it just got worse and worse and worse until I reached my rock bottom where I had to get help, reached out for therapy. But that's a long, long winded answer for a coach that's trying to notice if there's a drastic energy change in the person that's an indicator and then the best way you can kind of please your team for lack of a better term is communication what standard do you set because if you don't talk about it and it's all the sport all the time they're not going to feel like sharing their personal details about them because they feel like the only thing is important is them as an athlete their performance and not letting you down with results on the field yeah and i think that's such a good foundation and I know that coaches are going to listen to this and be like, okay, like I do need to talk to my kids more about things other than just softball because they're human first. And I know we've shared that a lot, but what, what if a player does go up to you and says this, like, what, what would you do as a coach? What should you do? Cause obviously it depends on what they're coming up to you with, I guess. But like, what do you suggest? Like talk to the parent? How do you even talk to the parent? Like, I think this is just stuff that I have no idea. Like I, I know ways that I would, 
I would do this. I try to create an environment with my athletes. And my first thing is like subtly, you know, telling the parent aside from the player being there, like, Hey, she shared this today. I just wanted to let you know it's never gone further than that. But like, how do you suggest coaches kind of go about this? If players do start talking about fear and anxiety and maybe depression. So there's going to be, it's going to depend on the level that you're at, right? Because certain coaches at certain levels have different resources than others, right? If we're at a big division one program, you're going to have a mental health consultant. Probably you're going to have the health wing at the school that you can direct resources, but let's go to the, because this will help everybody. If we go to the person that doesn't have resources, basically, right? Like a youth coach or something and a kid comes up, Number one is in communication, I think they say like 5% of your communication is your content and then the rest is body language and tone. And so if they start to communicate with that, try to be soft, be accepting, act like it's not a big deal. Like, oh yeah, no problem. Like it's totally fine. Like if you haven't dealt with it, make sure they know that you're going to help them get to the resources that they need or ask them what they need, right? Like my foundation, Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression, our number one product, the number one place we send people is free therapy, right? Because that changed my life. Therapy changed my life to start accepting things, but also it can give coaches, it can give people an instant toolbox of like, I don't have to have all the answers, but I have the answers. I can direct them to the resource that they want. And that's, I think, where coaches kind of get in trouble in their own brains is like, well, I'm not a PhD in psychology or I don't have all the psychological answers. I'm not an expert. It's like, good. There are experts and there are people that do this for a living. And so I'd be soft, accepting. And then depending, like you said, it's all going to be circumstantial what the thing is. But if you think they need help, you can just say, yeah, that's no problem. Actually, there's this awesome thing that can teach you about your relationship with your mind and how it can help performance or this and that. And then if it's scary, like if it's a scary situation, like, oh, I'm having suicidal thoughts or I've been thinking about hurting myself or I'm worthless or this and that, then you're still soft in the moment. Like we're going to get, you know, we can help and this and that go to the parent. And then that's where it's, you know, there's the the brand. I think it's 988 now is the mental health hotline and or 488. Mm-hmm. I should know that off the top of my head. That's terrible, but um, it's on the website. But there's resources and just know you don't have to be an expert in it. But as a coach, like if you're listening to this, it's a good time to maybe do a Google search and just have your ABC of like, if this occurs, I have these tools, just like you would do if a player gets injured physically, you know, we're going to ice, we're going to do this. We have a trainer, blah, blah, blah. It's that same sort of approach with the mental health, mental health issue. We have this resource, this resource, this resource based on the situation. That's what we're going to recommend. And we're going to be human about it. Not, you know, oh, you're just being weak, stop being lazy and just suck it up. You just need to calm down. That was my favorite for years. Like, oh, I have anxiety. Oh, you should just calm down. Oh my God. No way. Thanks. Appreciate it. It's like a pitching coach telling their pitcher to throw strikes. Mm. Oh my God, coach. I totally forgot. I was trying to throw balls out here today. I'll throw strikes now. Appreciate you. Same sort of deal. Yeah. Can we pause for a second from this episode and talk about one thing? 
J-Bands are the real deal. And no, they are not paying me to say this. I don't have a code for you to get a discount on their J-Bands. I just thoroughly believe in this company and I thoroughly believe in what they're doing for athletes and their arm care. And not just that, but their mental health and their mental wellness. As you know, those are two huge things for me is obviously the physical game, but the mental game for sure. And J-Bands are blowing this out of the water. And like I said, I don't have a discount code for you, but I totally believe in this company. So if you are interested in getting some J-Bands for your team or anything like that, they have colors for your team. I have a bunch of blue ones that I bring to some of my camps and clinics. But if you want to get some, you can go to the show notes below this episode and tap Jager Bands and you can get a collection for you and your athletes and your team. Like I said, I don't get any compensation for talking about them. I just thoroughly believe in what they do. You can also purchase their their Mental Warrior program, which I know is changing lives all over the nation. Let me know too. If you get these things, let me know if you use these. You can do that by going to the ABT community on my Facebook page, Ashley Burkhart Training. Let me know in that group, do you use these? How do you use them in practice? Um, Let's help that community grow and learn in this game how our mental game and our physical game can grow together. All right, let's head back to this episode. I'm really glad you brought up the foundation. So can you share with the audience, Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression, where, I mean, obviously we kind of probably have an idea of like how it started, but just give us like a breakdown of, you know, why, why did you create this and, and what, and you shared a little bit of what it can help with, but tell us all about it. Yeah. So 2009 was my first panic attack, like I said, and it was a very helpless, helpless feeling, but I had my first panic attack in 2009 and I went to my first therapy session in 2015. So six years in between the first one and getting help because of how terrified I was of the judgment, the stigma. I was pursuing professional baseball at the time. The last thing I wanted scouts to know was that I might have a mental health issue and my draft stock would drop, all this stuff. And so I got done playing 2012, moved down here to work for Jager Sports. And in 2015, I was having panic attacks constantly. And I had ordered food at The Habit. Great place, by the way. I went there yesterday, I think. And I couldn't get out of my car to go into the restaurant to get the food. Like I literally could not because of panic attack. I was sitting in my car, adrenaline, pins and needles in my neck. And my dad had like text me a few therapists to reach out to and I just never had. And I just broke down sobbing in my car like I cannot live like this anymore. Like my options were get help and attack it like I did my playing career. Like this is what's going to be our competitive focus is getting mentally healthy or end your life. Like that's as brutally honest as I can be. That's where I was. And so I thank God chose the therapy option got therapy and the first therapy session I went to, I walked out like, I don't remember what I really talked about that day. I just remember like, I felt like my lung capacity doubled. It was like, I can breathe. I just shared. She let me know that this is not that uncommon. Like I'm not alone. I can Mm -hmm. let people know. And so over the next year, I kind of embraced that and started telling people in my circle that this is what I was going through. And why my behavior changed in different things. And then it culminated in November of 2016. I decided to share my story on social media, the mental health story and what I've been going through. Because from the outside, I was like everybody else on social media where I posted the good things. 
I got drafted. I have this place. I got this car. I did this. And it was like all these fake, like it had nothing to do with what was going on in my real life. But mm-hmm. I had this image of, oh, this athlete and everything must be perfect. And so I shared with my close friends, dudes, like buddies, like guys, which is hilarious to think back on that conversation. But in September of 2016, and right before I was going to do it in November, I had cold feet. I was like, I don't think I can do this, guys. And one buddy who's the most mild-mannered, just sweetheart, Jombo, he was a Marine, was so adamant and pissed at me. Like, you have to share this. Like, you have no idea how powerful it's going to be. And he works at Jager Sports now. He's the head of shipping and logistics. And I tell him because he hates getting credit for anything. He's Mr. Humble and blah, blah, blah. And uh, if he didn't give me that kick in the ass or butt, sorry, I would not have shared. And I shared and it exploded. And uh, over the next three months, I got lawyers to officially incorporate into a 501c3 nonprofit. And so it's been about five years. And uh, it's just crazy because it's slowly starting to get traction now we have partnerships with the braves and different things and we've helped over 100 people get free therapy and um yeah it's just it's wild to look at the journey but i started it because i wanted to shorten the gap between problem and solution i didn't want anybody to struggle for six years with fear to get help and i wanted to empower and give you know let people know how strong it is to seek help and work on yourself and this is okay We don't judge people for going on a diet and taking care of their physical health. So why do we judge people for wanting to take care of their mental health or improve or whatever? And uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of the another long winded answer of the mental health story. (laughs) Yeah. Well, why don't you go and talk about that partnership with Tyler and the Braves? I love the story. Yeah, that is uh, it gives me goosebumps uh, to this day. So for the video, got my Tyler Matzik bobblehead here. Um, but there's a lot of things about social media I don't like, but there's some things that just could never happen without social media. And Christmas Eve of last year, I'm just sitting at home and I went on Instagram and I have a direct message and it's Tyler Matzik, you know, who had just an insane postseason run against my hometown Dodgers. I'm not really a fan of any team because of buddies and different things. I'm a little more of a yeah. fan of the Braves now though. I could tell you that, but um, <laughs> he reached out and he just one sentence. He said, I want to help. I want to help your foundation and your cause. Let's talk. And I was like, uh, okay, let's talk. And so we kind of went over different ideas of what we could do and came up with this awesome idea called strike out the stigma where for the 2022 season, he's donating $250 per strikeout that he records And so we started sharing that different things. And then I got an email from the Atlanta Braves Foundation saying, hey, we heard our pitcher Tyler is doing something with you. Let's talk. And then they're going to match his donation. And then they bought 100 mental health manuals and companion journals for all of their coaches. The Atlanta Braves, most major league baseball teams have an RBI youth program where they work with their city's youth And so they bought mental health manuals and companion journals for all of those coaches. And I actually spoke with their team um, psychologist and their team mental uh, training professional on a panel to all of those coaches, which, I mean, it was insane because like I still get anxiety and panic attacks daily for the most part, not panic attacks so much, but normal anxiety. And that was, I was sitting 
and I was looking at my, I, have a, I wear a heart rate monitor and my, like just sitting still, I was at like 140 right before we started speaking. Yeah. Um, but it's been, it's been incredible. They did a piece on their pregame show and uh, Tyler is just so what we need. Like he's just so humble and so transparent about what he, he dealt with the yips. He dealt with panic attacks. His journey just looked like his career was kind of done. And then, comes back and has that run last year and he has pictures with the world series trophy and his wife. And, um, it's just another one of those great stories. That's just a tribute to honesty and people sharing. And you can, I think a big misconception is that if you have a mental health issue, you can't live a successful life and that could not be farther from the truth, or you have to address and get to a finish line with your mental health issue before you can get back to everyday world. And it's like, if you talk to business leaders or you listen to interviews or different things, or you watch these athletes, Kevin Love, Simone Biles, Tyler Matzik, we're all human. And there's going to be days you're having anxiety. There's going to be days you have panic attacks. But if you can embrace it, observe it, and learn how to cope with it, you can still push yourself through some amazing amazing things and speak on a mental health panel while you feel like you're going to poop your pants in front of the Braves coaches <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Yeah. So what are some of those ways that we can cope or ways that maybe you've tried to cope and it works? Like, I know you mentioned meditation. Um, I don't know if you're into journaling. I mean, obviously you're into journaling, you have a journal and we could talk about that in a bit, but what are some of the big ways that, you know, people listening can maybe start adopting to try to manage some of this? My first place, I always try to encourage people to start. And I know for some people it's intimidating and there's also financial barriers, which is why the foundation number one thing is free therapy, but therapy is such a great place to start because what it does immediately is it doubles your team, right? It doubles your size of your team. And you have a mental health professional that in order to be a therapist or a professional psychologist, you have to be trained. You don't accidentally get there. And so they're going to be able to talk to you. They're going to be able to take inventory. And if you're an athlete, especially, all I really wanted was like, here's what I'm dealing with. What can I work on? right? Because as an athlete, that's what we want. It's like, what can I go do this week? And then let's talk next week about what worked or what didn't work. It's like, I walked on the pier. I still felt like I was going to pass out. Why did that happen? And so therapy is where I always want someone to start. And if you're worried about therapy first, the companion journal that comes with the manual is basically a place to do therapy on yourself, right? So it's got a bunch of questions about different mental health resources like nutrition, meditation, sleep, hydration, and asking questions to yourself of like, how would you rate your sleep on a scale of one to 10? What are some things that get in the way of a great night's sleep for you? Um, but yeah, I would say therapy, meditation, exercise would be my top three. Those are kind of non-negotiables for me that I don't even think of them as mental health resources anymore. They're just a part of my life and things are second. Like I make decisions based on sleep as opposed to I make decisions and then my sleep works around that. Like I know seven and eight hours is my sweet spot and I feel better mentally anxiety wise for sleep. But yeah. And then, you know, we live in an information age where you can Google basically anything. And so if you just Google mental health resources and just see what the top 10 are, try them out. And then the way I look at it is we all have our own recipe, right? And so use different ingredients and keep the ones that feel good for your life and discard the ones that don't, right? Like there's no one mental health approach for everybody, but I would say anybody that's dealing with anything, I would encourage you to 
try therapy. Just try it once. Try it for a little bit because it feels so good to get stuff that you've been holding on to on the inside out to an unbiased party where they're not going to tell all your friends and uh, do that sort of thing. Yeah, so I can attest to that. I shared this with you before we started recording. I picked up therapy two weeks ago. Not because I ran into a, a panic attack like you, but just because I knew there were things that I've been holding on to for a long period of time. And my husband's sick of me sharing some of this stuff and not sharing it with a professional. And exactly what you're saying, the amount that I was able to dump and get rid of, not get rid of, I mean, it's always you know going to be there, but feeling like some of these thoughts and you know, past happenings in my life, I can share and get off my chest. It like immediately makes me stand a little taller or sit a little taller. So I'm, I'm new to this, but I can attest like, like it works and it does cost a lot and how cool that people can, you know, come to your foundation to at least start that process. Another thing you mentioned is, is meditation. People are like, what is meditation? It's so lame. But I recently got a Peloton and they have meditations in there. You know, there's many places you can find meditations, but I love doing, I did one this morning because anytime I have like an interview to me, it's like a game day and I just want to make sure my mind's right and I'm here to serve. And I just remind myself of like, what is the work I want to do? How do I want to do it? And, you know, taking that time for yourself to kind of get internal and, you know, breathe. <laughs> and take a step back. It's it's really, really amazing. And how cool that you got to do that with Alan in the first clinic that you did where you just lay on the grass. And you know, even though you're trying to win by not moving, it actually kind of helped you find stillness and find yourself internally. But yeah, I think, you know, it, they say it takes three times, you know, to hear something, to start doing it. Um, this is about the third time on the podcast we've talked about this stuff, but I'm just so, I'm just so excited for, for what you offer and what you give and for those listening to have, you know, a place to go if they feel like they don't have one. Meditation is so funny because it's like, I just want to redefine it for people because it's, and we could, there's, there's probably two definitions of meditation. There's the traditional old school monk on a hill, just meditating <laughs> and floating off in outer space. But there's a 2022 version of meditation, which is what we're talking about when we use the word, right? And we just did, we just launched at Jager Sports, a mental warrior program that literally starts with a two minute meditation for a week, two minutes, 120 seconds, right? And it's like the common misconception with meditation is you're going to lay down and you're not going to have any thoughts, right? And if you, if you go into it with that mindset and you do it the first time, you're like, oh my God, I'm so flawed. Like I'm having every thought I've ever had in my head is coming to me right now. And that's exactly what's supposed to happen. Your brain's not used to stillness. Your ba brain's not used to a break. So the first time you do it, the first few times you do it, all the subconscious things that your brain has in there is going to be like, did you take out the trash? Did you pay rent? Did you do this? Oh my gosh, your girlfriend didn't text you back. Oh, you forgot to write back that email, which is the entire point. And that means you're doing it right, by the way. The goal... Mm -hmm is over time training your response to the thoughts, not not having the thoughts, right? So I'm meditating and I'll, I'll tell you how this translates to performance and when it really clicks for people meditating wise, but how, like the question I always get, I got this at the, the Braves thing, how is laying down next to my bed in silence gonna help me in the game in the ninth inning when the game's on the line? And I'm like, let me tell you. So you lay down, 
thoughts start to come in. So let's just use the same ones we just did. I got to pay rent. I got my trash. I didn't write back to that email. Well, over time, the better I get at, okay, that thought comes in, but I'm focusing on the present moment in my breath, right? So I take a deep breath. I got to pay rent. That's fine. It's there. Back to my breath. That's why we do counting the breath in one of our meditations where you inhale one, exhale two, inhale three, exhale four, and you try to stay committed to the present moment in the count. Well, the better I get at just observing those thoughts come in, I got to pay rent. Okay, I forgot about that email, whatever, back to the breath. Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. I do that over time, weeks, months, years, where I get better at regulating my breath, regulating my thought process and how I respond to external stimulus. I'm in the game in the ninth inning. I know it's the ninth inning. Everybody knows it's the ninth inning. There's guys on second and third. There's girls on second and third. There's the games on the line. We're down by one. All of those thoughts are there. It's not about not having them. You better know the games on the line. But I have practice at getting to, okay, that's all there. It's addressed. Back to the present moment. What am I focusing on? Deep breath. See the ball well out of the pitcher's hand. Attack. Those are what I'm focusing on. And if I've practiced it over time, I'm going to be way more equipped where if I don't practice it, all I'm going to focus on, oh, my God, the game's on the line. Oh, my God, it's three and two. Oh, my God, one strike. I can't let my teammates. Uh. It's not about not having those thoughts. It's just what do we do with those thoughts? And you made a great point about, like, today's a game day because I did the same thing as you. I went on a run in the morning. I was by the beach. I'm breathing. I love conversations that are not prepared. I love that because it makes you stimulus. You got to think on your feet and you get the genuine answer, right? Where we're not, you didn't send me questions. Here's the script. No, let's freaking talk. Let's freaking cut it up. And so the meditation, that's how it can affect performance, but how it can affect your life is like you said, it just gets you into that. Like what's today about? What do I want today to be about? What's my intention? What purpose are we trying to serve with this interview? And the more you do that on a daily basis, you're going to start living more intentionally. You're going to start feeling these results compound on each other and you'll start to feel those results, which is the hardest part with mental training is how do I feel the tangible results? Well, I can tell you from doing it, you'll start to feel it and you'll get addicted to it, but it's harder to get momentum because you can't see the results. Whereas if you lift weights or you do crunches like, Ooh, my abs are looking better. I'm looking better at the beach. I'm starting to hit the ball farther. Physical results are a lot easier to tangibly see than mental results. But when you start to feel the mental results, you'll be addicted to it and you'll want to share it with every freaking human being you come into contact with. I guarantee you that. Yeah. This has been so fun. <laughs> I, I love it. fired up right there. I, I love it. Um, one thing I want to mention before we go into our five to thrive questions is I've heard you say this before. I think it was on a TikTok that, you know, there's no finish line when it comes to mental health in this journey. Like normally when people say journeys, well, that means there's a, there's an ending, but you've mentioned that there is no ending. There's maintaining like, and, and learning how to make good of what you have. So why do you, why do you say that? How are you implementing that into your life? Yeah. I say that probably a little selfishly to help myself because as a ridiculous competitor that wouldn't let my grandma beat me in chess, like I wouldn't let anybody beat me in anything. The hardest thing to accept in this journey as a control freak and an ultra competitor was like, I don't think I can beat this. You know, when I was talking to my therapist and she was like, China, you got to realize that you might have to deal with some form of this for the rest of your life. And I wanted to fight that 
and everything. And then all of a sudden there was this switch of like, this is just a characteristic. Like we all have different characteristics. This is just a component of my personality. And if it's going to be here, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to mother F it and oh, poor me and the victim and let it negatively impact my life? Or am I going to be like, okay, what can we do to help myself? And then let's share that with others and see if it can help them. And just realizing like Tim Dixon, one of my buddies and the one I did the host of the podcast with forever, he would always say that there is no finish line until you die. Like we can always get better every day, one day at a time. And we are talking about all kinds of things, physical and everything. But for a mental health journey, there are certain things, anxiety, panic attacks, depression, um, that you may deal with. And it might be more severe at times and less severe at times, but it might be a part of you forever. And so if you can just accept anything that comes into your life as something that you can learn from, help yourself, turn it into what you want to turn it into, and then hopefully help others with it, which I think is why we're put on this planet. Like Jackie Robinson's quote, a life, like, I got to get these quotes exactly right, but he's like, a life should be <laughs> of the impact it has on others, right? Like that's the judgment yeah. of our lives is how are we impacting others? And so, yeah, it just has kind of become this mantra for myself of, when I'm having bad days or I'm having a panic attack at somewhere I've been 3000 times in my life. And I'm like, why the F am I having a panic attack at somewhere I'm comfortable at? Like I've had panic attacks sitting in this chair. I've been in this place for 15 years. And so when I start to get down and that depression tries to lock in, it's like, Hey, what can you learn from this? There is no finish line. Can we be better tomorrow than today? Yeah. So it's just one of my mantras that kind of helps me on a daily basis, especially when things aren't going well, is just to realize it's okay. Kind of, it was honestly a way to get over my ego because I thought I could beat anything. And um, I'm realizing that there's certain things I can't beat and uh, that's okay. You can still learn from it. So that's why that mantra kind of came and shared on social media. <laughs> is the ego also why it took you six years to go to therapy after your first panic attack? Oh yes, ego and the culture of male sports. For sure, because it's probably changed now, at least culture of the male sports I was playing at, where I was playing at the time, I would have just been eaten alive if I shared emotional or I'm struggling or this and that. I've been like, well, there's words that come to mind of what I would have been called. And um, mm -hmm. so it was my ego and it was fear of judgment and um, not having a, a realistic outlet to go to. I didn't know where to go. I had no clue. So I talked to Alan, you know, I would tell him because mm -hmm. he was the one place where I felt like he would never judge me because he had dealt with similar things and he was kind of committing his life to mental training. But yes, yeah. no answer. Yes, it was the ego that uh, <laughs> parts of the ego that made me not reach out. I think there's so much we can learn from Alan, especially, you know, being a coach and being like it, creating that environment to help athletes just like be able to share things, you know? Uh, I think that it's an art form. And Alan, I'm sure, you know, through his experience working with you and a bunch of other athletes, it's like to create that, it's it's not just like you're gifted with it. It's, it's letting the ego go away. It's serving with humility. And I think if you choose the role of coaching and frankly, parenting too, which well, one day I'll get there, but I think it, you literally have chosen a life of service. And I think when we, when we put on that hat, of, oh yeah, I'm here to serve before I'm here to, you know, make my athletes better physically. I think that just, Alan has done such a great job of that. And I think we all can learn that. And I mean, 
we were just talking about Hutch earlier. She just announced her retirement. She was that too. Like, and she has a record for the most wins in NCAA history. So there's something that we all can learn there, I think, truly. And I think the just to tie in our last two things in 30 seconds is like setting that intention for the day and meditation. One of the things I tell every coach I come into contact with is if every day for three to five minutes, you can just sit with yourself in silence and remind yourself about the responsibility of coaching. Cause a lot of times we get caught up in the power or the, this or the, that, why are you coaching? Answer that question as often as you can possibly do. And it'll always come back to the kids and helping le- like help humans develop as humans first and athletes second. And then the, the other part I always tell coaches is like, do you ever think about how you wanted to be coached when you were a player and apply that as a coach? Because oftentimes we just mimic coaches we had, or we just get into coaching. We totally change. And it's almost like we forget we were players. Well, how did I want to be coached and what can I bring to the table? And so remind yourself why you coach and remind yourself how you wanted to be coached. I heard Buck Showalter at a convention. He started his speech off to coaches. He's like, the number one thing I, I ask, I ask myself on a yearly basis when I'm coaching is would I want to play for me? Right. Mm. Would I want to play for me? And I always love that line to just kind of think about that. I think about that in business all the time. Like, would I want me to be my boss? Right. Cause I'm people's bosses and helping people. And like, how would I want to be treated? And I think that comes back to our, our point about slowing down and having intention just once a day. My dad talks about in Arizona, he wakes up every day and gives himself two minutes to just kind of breathe. And then what am I going to do um, today? What do I want to be today? And he's retired so he can dictate anything he wants to do today. But um Yeah. So pretty cool stuff. Really cool stuff. For people that are just attracted to you and your work, where can they find you? And especially the mental health manual and the journal, like you mentioned it briefly, but I mean, that itself is a great starting point. Where can people find all of these resources? Yeah. So you can find me at China McCarney on all socials. So China like the country. And then McCarney, M-C-C-A-R-N-E-Y, AAADfoundation.org, AAADfoundation.org is the website. That's where the manual will be. Um, If you just Google mental health manual, that kind of stuff, jagersports.com. I'm not too hard to find. There's not too many humans named China, or at least that go by China. My real name is Ryan, but um, easy to find. And then the mental health manual, just a quick snapshot on that. It's written with 2022 attention spans in mind, right? It's one resource, (laughs) yeah, one resource per chapter. Every mental health resource, we just answer three questions. What is the resource? Why can the resource help my mental health? And how do I implement this resource into my life? So what, why, how, that's it. And then the companion journal is, it coexists with the mental health manual And each resource that's gone over in the manual, you can answer questions on each resource. And it's just a way to kind of explore different mental health resources and keep what works for you. Like I said earlier, ingredients to your mental health recipe, but that's where you can find me. And I'm really good. I'm not so good on DMs on social media. I'm really good at email. I'm always on Mm -hmm. email, but there's, yeah, business stuff on, on, Social media inboxes is not my not my forte for the most part. <laughs> All right. That's great. Great to know. You ready for some rapid fire questions? Yes, I love this. With my dog barking in the background? I love dogs, so I have a dog as well. 
You can meet him once we uh, wrap up this interview. Yes, I love <laughs> he's, it. He's crazy. He just celebrated his second birthday yesterday. So what he's kind wild. of dog? He's a golden doodle. Yeah, I got to meet him after. You will. You will. My 70-pound lap dog. All right, first question. What's your favorite sports movie? Favorite sports movie? Oh, my gosh. I should know that off the top of my head. Let's go Sandlot. Hmm, good one. Greatest lesson the game has taught you? Ooh, learn from failure. Hmm. Learn from failure, yeah. Because baseball and softball, you're going to fail. And if you're not good at dealing with failure, you're in trouble. <laughs> totally. Who's your greatest role model and why? My dad, because what he dealt with in his first marriage, his wife going to jail twice, some other things that went on, him losing his business, going bankrupt, and his positive outlook is just enviable. And that fool is my hero. And uh, I just want to be a little bit like him when I grow up. <laughs> That's an amazing answer. Where can people start on their mental health journey if they're just wrapping into it today, coming across it? Three places. Let's give them three. A, you can get free therapy through AAAD if you want to talk to someone that can help you kind of really start. That's like the more aggressive start because that's you're taking control and you're diving in and talking. Second place, inside yourself. Meditate, relax, just take inventory on your thoughts because a lot of time life goes, right? And we're just kind of along for the ride and we're not intentional. We're not aware of what's driving our thought process. But if we give ourselves a chance in silence, a lot of times our body, our mind will tell us where we need to work on some things. And then Google. Google's my <laughs> friend. I love Google. If you're curious, you know, I mean, you do, you're going to have a search history. So you can pretty much search about anything. But if you're curious about anything, just Google it and read about it. And that's a way to do it in privacy. Perfect. Perfect. Before I ask you the final question, I need to thank you. After our two hour, I felt like it was a two hour long conversation a while back, I knew you'd be the perfect guest to share some of these things and, you know, break down the stigma. And I think, I think you've accomplished that and the work that you're doing is impeccable. So just thank you for everything that you've done for our game games. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would echo that back at you. And, uh, I felt the same way after our conversation is just, we're Jim and I talk about Jim's my best friend, CEO on that other side of the wall. We talk about vibes. We're vibes guys. Like we just, you can feel human intention if you're looking for it and you just do things the right way for the right reasons. You truly want to impact players, make them better people and then better athletes. And then you make me a better TikToker because I watch all your stuff. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I echo that and thank you right back at you. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. All right. Final question. What legacy do you hope to leave on those you impact? That's such a good question. I mean, the cliche answer is you want to leave the world a better place than you did before. But what I want to do is I want to empower people to embrace 100% of themselves, good, bad, ugly. I think the more we can do that as humans individually and then as a society as a whole, the better we'll be. I mean, this world's so full of judgment right now. And I think oftentimes we lash out and judge people because we're feeling some sort of insecurity in ourselves. And so the legacy I want to leave is just normalizing mental health talk, normalizing mental health work where it's just like physical health. Like, like I said, there's a gym on every corner. There's physical trainers. There's all this stuff, but there's still this taboo thing about mental health. It's like the brain's so much more important than my six pack, which I don't have by the way. But yeah, I just want to leave a legacy of 
mental health transparency and then just empowering people to just be proud of their story. Like, I think our stories are so powerful to others, but they're not to us because we live it every day. And so it's not as interesting to ourselves as to somebody else, where when somebody else, you go on a podcast or something and they tell your story, everyone's story is unique. I want to learn about everybody's story and I get fascinated by it. And people think I'm blowing smoke sometimes, but it's like, no, your story's sick. Like, it's cool. Like stories mm-hmm. are what makes our world and our society. So I just want to leave a, le- leave a legacy of I was transparent about my struggles and that I just tried to help create a different normalcy with mental health. And I would always allow people to be themselves and helped in any way that I could and set course records at many golf courses. That's the legacy. <laughs> well, you're most definitely doing that. Thanks so much for coming on, China. No, thank you. I appreciate it. For the sake of time, we had to eventually end this conversation, but I feel like he's going to have to be on the podcast again. He's been through so much physically, so much mentally, and he has so much knowledge and experience that I'm so happy he was able to share with us. If you want to learn more, maybe a little bit about J-Bands or their Mental Warrior program, or even the mental health manuals and journals that China was talking about, All of those can be found in the show notes. So the show notes is basically wherever you click to listen to this episode, it's the copy, it's the writing underneath the podcast itself. Along with that, I have added three more episodes that are similar to this interview with China that you might enjoy, um, especially if you like this conversation. And of course, as always, every share, every like on social media, every review you leave, it helps this podcast grow and get to more people. And messages like this one, I really, really want to get out to more people, especially when it comes to mental game. So thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. Don't forget to stay awkward, stay humble, and keep smiling. And I'll see you next week.